0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. My name is Ellis Williams, recording from the secret spot on a Tuesday. Yep, yeah, you heard that right. A Tuesday, we're recording one day earlier than usual because the Browns play on Thursday night in prime time. This weird schedule has changed stuff up for us, so we apologize if this dropping unexpectedly changed things up for you listeners. But we do appreciate you guys as always for listening. And before we dive into these topics, like Kareem Hunt's stellar game on Sunday. You know, man, was he good and effective, whether it was lead blocking or going in motion. Expect to see a lot more of Kareem Hunt. Uh, You know, we'll also talk about Baker Mayfield and his choice of words towards the Browns fans, about, you know, keeping a little more hush-hush. But Before we get into any of that, as always, here's what's happening with your Cleveland Browns. The Browns face a short week as they prepare for Thursday night's big AFC North showdown at First Energy Stadium against the 5-4 Steelers. The Browns are relatively healthy after Sunday's 19-16 win over the Bills, but are still expected to be without Olivier Vernon at defensive end. He missed the Bills game with an injured knee and didn't practice on Tuesday. Even though the Browns are 3-6, they are 1-0 in the division after winning a week 4 matchup against the Ravens. Coach Freddie Kitchens knows his team can move back into the AFC picture As long as they string a few wins together he said on tuesday quote we have some work cut out for us could sunday's home win over buffalo be the start of something new for the browns they sure hope so and kitchen says he'll keep using running backs nick chubb and kareem hunt to create problems for opposing defenses hunt returned from an eight game league suspension to play against the bills and contributed catching the football running and blocking chubb finished with 20 carries for 116 yards and many of those came through holes that Hunt opened. Hunt ended the day with four carries for 30 yards and also caught seven passes for 44 yards. Kitchen says one reason it's working so well with those two is that both Chubb and Hunt are unselfish, saying, quote, all they want to do is win football games, and I like guys like that. The Steelers are surging with four straight wins and have moved two games behind the 7-2 Ravens in the AFC North. Kitchen says he's been impressed with how Pittsburgh has found ways to win games even after losing Ben Roethlisberger to a season-ending elbow injury in Week Two. The Steelers have supported first-year starter Mason Rudolph with a strong defense and run game, which helped him beat the Rams on Sunday, 17-12. Kitchen says he's not impressed the Steelers have won four in a row, saying, "Quote, in those four straight, they have taken the ball away 14 times and only given it away once. That is a recipe for success." The Steelers expect they will have James Conner back in the lineup on Thursday night. The running back missed the last two games with a shoulder injury, but practiced Tuesday and says he should be good to go. Pittsburgh certainly will be glad to have him back. In Sunday's win over the Rams, running backs Jalen Samuels and Trey Edmonds combined to average 1.6 yards per carry. The week before, against the Colts, they averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Conner has carried 97 times this season for 380 yards for an average of 3.9. But fans will remember last year versus the Browns when Connor, in the season opener, had 135 yards rushing and scored twice while adding 57 receiving yards. But Connor wasn't done. In Week 8, he rushed for 146 yards and added 66 receiving yards. Clearly, he knows how to carve up the Browns, and that'll be a key. Should Browns fans be quiet during Thursday night's game? That's what quarterback Baker Mayfield would like to see during key moments when the Browns offense has the ball. Mayfield says that there were times against the Bills when the excitement of the crowd was so loud that it interfered with players hearing each other and the snap count. So Mayfield is simply asking that Thursday night's crowd think about the right times to ramp it up and when to dial it back, saying, quote, It has to be an advantage for us. And then when they get the ball, it has to be really loud. That's just football. That is what's happening with your Cleveland Browns. Now, let's dive into these topics a little further. To help me with that, I'm joined by beat writer Dan Lobby and insider Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how are you two doing? Uh, Doing well. Cold, but
2: uh, doing all right. I hear you.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Such a short week, but an exciting week at that.
0: Yep, we're scrambling, you know, trying to figure it out as as everyone is on a short week like this. Uh, So let's jump right into it. Uh, The Browns win 19-16 against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. A must-win game in every sense, um, but definitely a momentum builder in the same sense. So with that, I want to ask you guys first, simply, can Sunday's win be the start of something new, something big for the Browns here?
2: I don't know if it's, you know, I guess maybe in the end if they make a run, we'll look back and say that was the game that started it. But I think Thursday night's the game that is ultimately going to determine where this season goes. Uh, Just look at it like you scored 19 points against the Bills. You needed them to miss a field goal at the end for it to not go into overtime. A win's a win. You you take them how you can get them in this league. But, I you know, I'm not looking at, at Sunday's win as some, you know, watershed moment for this football team. I came away... And this happens in the NFL sometimes. You come away from a win feeling like yeah, it felt a lot like a loss, and it felt a lot like you know us seeing a lot of the same issues we've been seeing all season. But look, they needed a win; it was a must-win, and, and they found a way to win. So you know, sometimes you just have to take them out and get them.
1: You know, it did feel like a little bit of a turning point to me. In that, well, first of all, they beat a six-and-two football team, which they hadn't even been beating two-and-six football teams uh, in, in recent weeks. So. They beat a 6-2 football team. They finally won at home. Yeah. Uh, they, got a, they got a little bit of momentum on their side. And the biggest thing I think about that was that Kareem Hunt came back to the football field. And that feels like something tangible that you can kind of wrap your brain around and say, here's why things can be different going forward. So they really needed it. And, and I do think that it could catapult them to something. I don't know what that something's going to be. Again, it all depends on what happens Thursday night, but I I do think there was a little something extra to that victory.
0: Yeah, Mary Kay, I'm glad you brought that up because you put it perfectly. That is a tangible thing, something we can see on the field that is different with this Browns offense, and offense that's been sputtering, trying to figure itself out. Not that it's, you know, the team's points per game shot up with the addition of Cream Hunt, but they definitely looked more efficient, more effective. Red zone continues to be an issue, and we'll get into that. What I want to ask about Sunday is. Dan, you touched on a little bit, that was, it was just an ugly win, right? And that's really all it was. And it's kind of been on par with the season. They just ended up on the right side of it.
2: Yeah, they won ugly. And, you know, if they win on Thursday night, it'll probably be an ugly win. (laughs) I think for either team on Thursday night, it's going to end up being ugly. So, you know, in the NFL, you work all week to try and win football games. It's a pass fail league and the Browns passed and they haven't been doing that very often. They needed that win to kind of keep this one, no mantra and, and trying to make a playoff run alive. And, if they lose that game, then we're fully pretty much in draft mode. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they did what they needed to do. And, you know, I'm glad they won that game on a drive at the end. I'm glad yeah. it wasn't, you know, you know, I don't know, some weird wonky interception return or something like that. They they had to take the football, drive down the field, and make some plays to win the game. And, and I'm glad that at the very least, that's how it happened. So that's another kind of tangible thing that I look at. You got Kareem Hunt. And then also you had to go win a football game. It wasn't just handed to you. So uh, certainly credit to them for that.
1: And as Dan mentioned, you know, there was part of this victory that felt almost like a loss in some ways or, or an ugly victory. And, you know, when you look at it, Baker Mayfield had at least two passes that were dropped interceptions by the Bills. Yep. Uh, I didn't think that Josh Allen's skill Position players helped him out very much at all it looked to me like they just didn't come up with the contested catches they dropped some passes uh, two missed field goals including yeah. one that was almost a chip shot one yard longer than an extra point uh, they needed Chris Hubbard to false start <laughs> In order to get the field goal there, that was something that put them up nine and seven at the half. So yep. you know, I was kidding around with him after the after the game, saying you know you deserve a game ball for that. He was laughing about that, and uh, you know to this to this day, you, you really have to wonder what would have happened, right? You know if they didn't get that again. Like we will get into it more, but you know, goal line red zone, yeah, that's a joke. Yeah, I mean that's an, a joke and no excuse. There's no excuse with the talent available on this football team to not be able to score in all those chances at the goal
0: line. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And very quickly, Dan, you alluded to it, the game-winning touchdown drive, catch made by Rashard Higgins, uh, seven-yard catch, his only grab of the game, but it felt like it put him back on the map at least for a moment. I want to ask you two, do we think we see more of Rashard now, or is this situation just becoming impossible to predict, and we'll find out on Thursday?
2: I think you have to. I don't think there's any choice but to put Rashard Higgins on the field, especially with – what just happened with Antonio Callaway? And, and I know that's only supposed to be a one-game thing, but certainly there's no reason to believe you can rely on Antonio Callaway at this point. Rashard Higgins just made a play for you, so to me, he's got to be out there. You've got to find a role for him, whatever that is. He needs to be on the football field because he just won a football game for you, and, and I think you, you need to reward that a little bit. Obviously, it's a little game plan dependent, uh, but against this defense, Baker Mayfield's going to need a safety valve, and you know Rashard Higgins could be that guy. I trust him more than Antonio Callaway right now or any of these other receivers that, that are sort of on that bubble. Uh, so, so I think he should be the one that's out there, and I, I think he will be.
1: Well, it's been third receiver woes this season, yeah. right? They've either been out with a knee injury in the case of Richard Higgins, or they have been suspended in the case of Antonio Callaway, or they've gotten themselves into the doghouse for one reason or another. So there's been a total lack of consistency at the three spot, yep. and that's vitally important because they were going to play uh, a lot of that 11 personnel this season, and they just really haven't had the consistent third wide out to do it. Now, Richard Higgins, again, he came up big, made a play. He's Baker Mayfield's go-to guy. But I think, I mean, look at that. That was his only target for a reason. He is still working his way out of the doghouse this season as well. I don't care what anybody says, that's the case. Uh, So now you've got two guys, and it'll be interesting to see. It's been a short week. I mean, it's been a really short week to try to figure out uh, who's going to play that role. And uh, and we'll find out on Thursday night. Did Callaway work himself out of the doghouse? Was the one-game benching enough, and order has been restored, and he'll be back in there? Or is he still going to have to pay his dues on Thursday?
0: Yeah, it's the drama that... Only us here in Cleveland care about, but the Callaway-Higgins back and forth uh, is something, you know, half, more than halfway through the season we still can't figure out and be another chapter come Thursday. Uh, a guy who may have emerged as, you know, not a number three receiver necessarily, but a number three catching option for the Browns was Kareem Hunt on Sunday. Uh, his return, not only as a lead blocker and a runner, but as a receiver, stood out, um, you know, 44 receiving yards. He was involved, especially late on that final drive. So, again, I wanted to ask you guys, is this a new wrinkle and maybe a new era for the Browns offense going forward featuring Hunt and Chubbers? sure looks that way.
2: Yeah, for as, for as rough as it's been with this coaching staff, their ability to work Kareem Hunt in on Sunday was great. Yeah. They, they did a fantastic job of, of finding a way to use him and making sure that he didn't take things away from Nick Chubb. Yeah, I I said a couple times before the season that I thought Kareem Hunt was maybe the best running back on this team. Uh, That that maybe in a competition he would beat out Nick Chubb. I I would probably backtrack that that a little bit at this point with what we've seen from Chubb in his second season. But I do think it's fair to say that Kareem Hunt is probably the best all-around player on this team as far as his ability to run, catch, his ability to do multiple things. And it's just different It's a different dynamic, and they did a great job of of putting him out there in positions to make plays. And it helps that no one has stepped up as that third receiver or that fourth receiver. So now there's a role for him there as well. I think he tied a career high in catches uh, on Sunday. So so credit to this coaching staff for finding a way to get him on the field and not take anything away from Nick Chubb.
1: Yeah, the only thing uh, that I thought that they did really wrong with Kareem Hunt is the fact that you had him back in practice for several weeks. He returned to practice on October 21st. So the, the NFL really gave the Browns an opportunity to work him back into the game plan. And yet, you had about 13 opportunities on the goal line, and he wasn't involved in those opportunities. Yeah. And when you look at his touchdowns in his first two seasons, uh, you know there's just no way he should not be involved on the goal line, even as a lead blocker which they don't do enough of that to begin with. Uh, and he obviously demonstrated what he can do, but there's enough film on Kareem Hunt to know what he can do, what he can do in the red zone, on the goal line, and so I thought they erred in that regard. And I think they did that because uh, because Freddie Kitchens, when, he, when Antonio Callaway came off of his suspension, he threw him into some situations that he wasn't quite ready for.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: But those are two different players. They're yeah. two different players. And, again, they brought Kareem Hunt back early enough that you could work him in in those situations, and yet Freddie Kitchens admitted they did not have him in any of their goal line package.
0: Yeah, so that's what I I, want to break this down a little further. Um, On Monday, Freddie said that though they can run their normal offense in in the goal line situations, they just did not have a package installed featuring Kareem Hunt on the goal line, um, which listeners should make you roll your eyes or – Slap the table. It is puzzling, but Mary Kay, you bring up something interesting I hadn't thought about. This team learned the hard way plugging Antonio Callaway into their goal line package um, when he returned from suspension against the 49ers and in the infamous drop that essentially ended that game we all remember. So, Dan, is that fair enough logic? Should these fans at home? Uh, forgive Freddie for this one for maybe not doubling down on a mistake, or is there no excuse for Kareem Hunt not to
2: be I, there on the goal line? I don't think there's an excuse because he did it later in the game. He did it in the, what was it, the second quarter. They went, they got down to the goal line and Kareem Hunt was out there all of a sudden. I don't think he touched the football in, that, right. in any of those moments, which, again, that shouldn't happen. But there's no excuse to when you're running seven goal line plays. And I, I went back and watched those plays on the broadcast uh, on Monday I went back and watched the all 22 today and looked at those plays, and there's just no rhyme or reason to what they were trying to do when they were running those plays. It was a tough
0: watch, wasn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're they're not winning numbers games. They're not running receivers out. I think at one point, maybe a tight end fell down, which hurt one of those plays. But, you know, just there's no excuse to not at one point just say, you know what, let's put 27 out there, have the flexibility to put him out there. Even if you bring him in and take Chubb out for a play or. Like you said, Mary Kay put him in as a lead blocker, split him out wide with Odell to, to just give the defense somebody else to have to think about as a receiver, which they didn't do in any of those plays. It just didn't make any sense, especially because later in the game they did go to Kareem Hunt on the goal line, even though he didn't touch the football.
0: Yeah, so this you know this does feel like a a new wrinkle, a, a new era. It, you know that tends to mean down the road, years to come, and you know Hunt's future with this team is up in the air, but. For the rest of the season, I think it's safe to call it a new era, and I would expect Freddie's learned from Sunday, and we'll see more of Kareem Hunt on the goal line, or at least we could hope so.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that uh, that it's too late to make that happen against the Steelers on Thursday night. Yeah. I don't think it would be too hard uh, to figure out a way to plug him in. That's enough time. Four days is enough time to throw him in there. They only had one practice, and they were inside today because there was snow all over the field, and it was freezing cold out. And... Um, You know they didn't even have pads on but i still think that uh you know it's really not rocket science to get him involved down there i definitely think they'll do it i think they should do it i also brought up and we might be getting into this later but i also brought up you know there are other ways that you can provide a a lead blocker in the red zone and on the goal line without having a traditional fullback on your roster whether i suggested sheldon richardson i talked to him about it today He's all for
2: it. That's I'm awesome. trying to make that happen. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> I joked with Kareem Hunt about it, too, because Sheldon was standing right there uh, kind of staring at Kareem while he was talking. I said, do you, you want to see Sheldon as a fullback? And he, he said, yeah, absolutely. You know hope he get us five yards or whatever, and it's not something that Sheldon hasn't done before. So, uh, you know, there, there are ways where you can get a different guy on the field and, and be creative, and that kind of energizes the football team. One other thing Freddie said, too, that I think we need to take into account is – on that conference call, he said the whole playbook is open. It's not just goal line stuff. He actually said the whole playbook right. is open for them down there, outside of maybe running some go routes.
1: Right.
2: So that you know, even that, any excuse he had, kind of went away when he said that the whole playbook's there, and, and they just didn't use it in that first series.
0: Yeah, it was an ugly sequence. Uh, we'll be writing about it and talking about it some more. Uh, Mary Kay, if we do see Sheldon Richardson in the game, lead blocking for the Browns, I'm giving you all the credit on this one because I, I love the idea.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, <laughs> and he, uh, I was talking to him about it a little bit today, and I'll probably write a little bit about it tomorrow or something like that. But he, uh, you know, he has scored two touchdowns. I think maybe as a rookie. 20, yeah,
2: twenty thirteen. I was, okay. I actually just watched the highlights today. Yeah, no so uh,
1: you know he's all for it. That's
2: awesome. He he
1: played offense in high school. He okay. played just about you know he played tight end, wide receiver. Full back in Ooh, high school it's a big boy um, yeah so he's uh, he's all for it he's ready and you know it, the red zone the goal line it's just been uh, abysmal it's been an embarrassment yeah I mean they did that coming off of a one for five performance against the Denver Broncos and I remember saying to, to Freddie you know at one point you know do you need to overhaul your red zone package and he's like no it's execution. No, it's not just execution. It's more than execution. It's design, it's play calling, and those sorts of things as well.
2: The Browns are 29th in goal-to-go percentage in the league. They are one of four teams under 50%. The other teams are Detroit, Jacksonville, and Miami.
1: And how many chances have they had?
2: They have had, they don't have the chances listed on here. It just says goal-to-go percentage. uh, They are 29th. Okay. Well, they made history on Sunday. It's been flown around Twitter. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: first time in like 26 years, a right. team has had seven or more chances from the two-yard line or closer and not converted.
1: Yeah. I mean, what an embarrassment.
0: I'm 25 years old. I wasn't I wasn't alive <laughs> the last time that happened. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's embarrassing. If, if nothing else, you know, have your quarterback uh, attempt to sneak and push him the heck in there. You know, I mean, other teams get this done from the one. And it's just for the Browns to have the personnel that they have, including – Nick Chubb, yeah. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry—you got to be able to get that.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of Odell Beckham, they still couldn't get him in the end zone, though they tried their butt off to do it. Uh, he had three red zone targets on that sequence we keep talking about alone. But OBJ says he feels like he's starting to foul off some fastballs. speaking between the chemistry of him and Baker Mayfield, again we talk about this each week, but it's worth mentioning that it feels like they are getting a little closer. They opened up the game with a deep shot to him. From what you guys saw and what you're hearing, are we a game away, moments away from an
2: Odell Odo Beckham breakout? I hope so. It's been long enough. Uh, you know, that that deep ball was a good sign because yeah. they were that close uh, to, to maybe converting on that. But, you know, I'm sitting and watching the Monday night game and I see Jimmy Garoppolo hit Emmanuel Sanders on a slant. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders showed up at the trade deadline, and and there's other instances of this as well. I mean, Mason Rudolph wasn't starting. You know, he took over for Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously, it hasn't been easy sailing, but he's found some chemistry with guys on on that team. It's yeah, you know, this whole chemistry thing. It's got to get ironed out. We're in week ten now. Week eleven. I don't know what week are we in. It's almost their Yeah, something. (laughs) We're in a double-digit week at this point. Uh, And and this chemistry thing is such a, it's an excuse at this point. You just got to get it done. You just got to go out there and complete some passes. And I I think it's coming from both sides. I think Baker is not always getting the ball to Odell when he's open. I think when the ball has gone to Odell, he hasn't always caught it. I think both guys just aren't quite there yet. But it's got to happen eventually. The, The excuses have to stop.
1: Well, at least in this game even though it didn't quite work out the way they wanted it to, at least they tried more. Yeah. And, you know, it's like in basketball. You know, you're never going to make a basket unless you try to, to, yeah. to shoot. Yeah. Sometimes you have to shoot your way into a higher percentage. butterfly And And that is the way that these two guys are going to have to find their in-game chemistry. The more incompletions that they have, the more Baker's going to realize, oh, he likes it here, uh, you know, when he's on a sideline route. Yeah. Or... You know, for, for a back shoulder throw, I need to put it here. Or he needs, you know, just those nuances that happen between uh, two players. And I think that one of the things that has been a factor, and I do think that Odell basically admitted this a couple weeks ago, is he spent so much time with Eli Manning that sometimes it is harder to teach an old dog new tricks with a new guy. I mean, if yeah. you know what I mean? it's uh, It shouldn't be that hard, and I don't think that should be as much of a factor as it has been but I think there is something to it. I think he's used to having things a certain way and they're not anything like that anymore and uh, the other thing is and I I wrote about this recently that I think that uh, you know Odell works to get open. I mean he has had to uh, he has had to beat the double team. He's had to you know, fight and scrap and claw his way open. That doesn't always happen on your first read. Sometimes you have to keep working at it. And so Baker has to kind of keep looking for him, you know. Maybe, yeah, look away, but come back, you know. Don't don't give up on him. Give him an opportunity uh, to work his getting open magic. And also don't try to, to find the perfect situation to throw him the ball. And I thought he did a better job of that this game, remembering that Odell Beckham Jr. can be tightly covered, as can Jarvis Landry, and they're gonna win those 50-50 balls.
0: Yeah, you know, earlier in the year we blamed uh Mayfield a lot for simply just not seeing Beckham when he was open, not getting him the ball. You know, one thing that we need to start entertaining here is Beckham may just be in a in a bit of a slump. I think uh, on Sunday, for the first time up close, he he was played flawed and he, you know, he looked human, if you will. You know, this is a guy who you know, reached stardom with that one-handed catch, and he's gone berserk ever since then, making plays that we didn't think possible. On Sunday, we saw two balls hit his hands in the end zone, and he dropped them. I know the the second one was a, a his second pass interference uh, was a one-handed ball that he got up his hand on, and he dropped it. But that's how the one-handed catch started. It was a defensive pass interference call hit him in his right hand, and he caught it. On Sunday, he didn't. They went back to him on a third down play or a second down play after the second P.I. call, and he went up with two hands, out leaping the Bills defensive back, secured the catch, and then just got it ripped away from him. Look, he's not the biggest receiver. I understand that. But if he he does belong in the category of one of the best, and he considers himself the best – And guys like Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, they're making that catch nine times out of ten. If they get both hands on the football in the back of the end zone, they're coming down with it. They don't care who's ripping it away. So I I think now it's time to start taking seriously that Odell may just be in a little professional slump right now, which I fully expect him to turn around, which is why I'm glad they're taking the deep shot to Beckham early, tried it again later. And I think we're really close now to a a breakout game.
2: And I I thought it was telling, too, that Buffalo kind of just decided – you know, Baker actually talked about this in his postgame presser, which I wasn't at. I was reading the transcript, and it, it kind of—I didn't get what he was talking about at first. So I went back and watched, and I thought it was interesting. Buffalo just sort of decided on those goal line plays. If they're throwing to Odell, we're just going to grab him yeah, and draw the flag, and you know what? We'll, we'll try again. We'll start all over again at the at the one yard line. It obviously worked out for him uh, all those times, and I thought that was interesting uh, that they decided that. All they kind of needed to do was get a little physical with him and, and try and slow him down and grab him a little bit, and, and he wasn't able to, to fight for those footballs. I thought that fade uh, to the opposite side of the pass interference, but was one that he, he really needed to come down with. And, and He just didn't. And also some of that is they're just not putting him in great positions. I, I think that's part of it as well. Obviously, he's Beckham, so he's just got to be better than that. But some of it, too, as I talked about, is you're running one route. So the defense is kind of able to focus on that one route. And if they want to commit P.I., they can. If they just want to try and make a play on the ball, they can. Uh, so it's, it's still just a combination of a lot of things.
1: Well, one of the things that comes to mind, too, is that I remember when uh, the year after Braylon Edwards caught 16 yeah. touchdown passes, uh, Dante Stallworth stepped on his foot in training camp uh, the next summer. And he missed most of training camp. He just wasn't himself that year. You know, there is just something about being able to practice in the off season and repping it over and over, and being part of training camp. Yeah. I think it matters for the most part. I could be wrong, but I, I think there is something to be said for that. The other thing is with Kareem Hunt on the field, I really think that's going to open things up for Odell Beckham Jr. Completely. You have to respect. Uh, you have to respect Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb into the backfield to the point where it's going to be really hard. Uh, to double team Odell Beckham Jr. all the time because you're going to have to bring uh, an extra guy down into the box and you're going to open some things up uh, for other guys, uh, especially Odell. And, you know, Kareem gets involved in the passing game, so you can do some creative things that way. So, I, you know, they have been learning on the fly and they're running out of time. uh, (laughs) But I I still do think that, you know, you'll see it get better as the weeks go by.
0: Yeah, I also suspect that the emergent of Hunt will open Odell up, just as the arrival of Odell has really given Jarvis Landry one-on-one coverage all season. He once again took advantage of that on Sunday, catching nine balls nearly 100 yards. uh, The first touchdown of the game, and then he set up the game-winning touchdown. Really nice game from Jarvis Landry, but had the Browns lost, we would have been talking a little differently considering his unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after the touchdown, taunting, whatever it was. Um, when he got in the face of the Bills cornerback. uh, And he was unapologetic about it after the game, saying that he'd do the same thing again. I want to ask you guys, and we probe Freddie today on it, um, first, are you guys okay with Landry's response, his action, and then just your reaction to what Freddie had to say today?
2: I don't know if I'm okay with it, but I, I sort of do agree that this is just who Jarvis is. And I think we've known that from the minute the Browns traded for him. He's an emotional player, and we see it. Uh, On the field during games, we see it in the locker room after games. Uh, Sometimes he doesn't want to talk to reporters, and he he kind of just leaves the locker room after losses. This is just sort of who Jarvis is. He plays with a a high level of intensity, and you love it because that's what the Browns needed when they traded for him, and we all remember the hard knock speech and, and his approach, and he's one of the guys, along with Odell, that you talk to any of the receivers in that room they say Jarvis and Odell have been the leaders in that room and, and the mentors and the guys who are teaching, and, and especially Jarvis. He's like the name that always comes up first. It, it's what you get with Jarvis. Sometimes you have to live with some of the bad and it ended up not costing them. You know, I, I don't know if it will cost them a game down the road at some point, but that passion is the same reason that Jarvis will flatten a defender on a block and open up a run play. So you just kind of live with it with this guy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you uh, that that is of what makes Jarvis so good, that intensity, uh, just that over the top, uh, you know, just passion for the game. However, you have to be team protecting. And I don't agree with, yes, I would do it over again Yeah. Because if you got a 15 yard penalty that could have cost your team the football game, you don't want to do that again. And obviously the officials, the referees felt like what you did was wrong, and if they felt that it was wrong. They're going to feel like it was wrong again and maybe throw that flag on you again. So no, you can't say, I'm going to do it again. I would do the same thing all over again. You're basically saying, you shouldn't have been flagged. Okay. Well, maybe you shouldn't have been flagged, but it's probably going to happen again in that same situation. So I think you have to be team protecting. And I think this is what Freddie was trying to say, you know, today that, yeah, we want him to play with all of that passion, bring that. We need that. I mean, that 24 yard catch he made, on the game-winning drive Remarkable. was spectacular, as was the touchdown catch. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. such a great catch, right? Yeah. That is what makes Jarvis Jarvis. But, you know, don't follow it up with a 15-yard penalty. If you even think, you, you do have to keep your emotions in check, somehow, some way, you have to do that. And I remember, this was a little bit of an issue with him in Miami. These were some things that happened, actually to the point where, uh, where Adam Gase wanted to trade him because of these things. Uh, Now, for the most part, he has kept it under control here, and he's done a phenomenal job. He has not been uh, the player that I think Adam Gase thought he was in Miami, which was, you know, I think he thought that he was a pain in the ass half the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hasn't been that here at all, but that penalty just isn't something uh, that you can do. And for sure, against the Steelers on Thursday night, they can't do stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and, and they're look—they're going to try and get him to do it. And, and you're, you're right. I mean, I do agree with the whole idea of you can't just come out and say, well, I would do it again. No, you have to admit the mistake and, and understand that, that you messed up. And of course, with the new rule this year that you can enforce it on the extra point, it cost him a point. You know, you don't just get it enforced on the kickoff, it gets booted out of the end zone like it would have anyway. So yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. But again, with Jarvis, this is just Sometimes in these post game locker rooms, you know, these guys, for the most part, these guys all take losses hard, right? Yeah. You work all week and you lose a game. But there's some guys that just really wear it, and you can tell. And Jarvis is one of those guys. And, but, you know, again, that passion and, and that it's what this organization needed, it's what they signed up for. And, and I do think sometimes, sometimes you're just going to have to live with this. Now, somebody should have gotten it in his ear and said, hey, you know, maybe don't say you would do that again. But th- th- this is part of the package with Jarvis.
1: And the other thing is, he believes that the way he responded, in some ways, may have fired up his football team. Yeah. That, that is his true belief, that that showing some of that tenacity like that, and that toughness. I mean, he, he's, he's a tough guy. Yep. And what he brings, they're going to need that on Thursday night against the Steelers, because this team's going to get physical with them, they're going to get chippy with them, and... Uh, you're going to need somebody that can stand up to that, and Jarvis will be able to do that. He just can't cross the line.
0: Yeah, and with that line, that's that's where I feel for Freddie on this one. He's, he's really in a tough spot, and you could see it and hear in hearing his voice today answering that question. He doesn't really know how to walk that line because a guy like Jarvis, you have to let them beat Jarvis, especially when you're a first-year head coach like Freddie Kitchens. But somewhere in your mind you probably think, all right, well, Bill Belichick isn't wouldn't allow his players to do something like this. Now, not everyone can be Bill Belichick, but we can even say, you know, Mike Tomlin. I know he was just dealing with the likes of Antonio Brown and whatnot, but when something happens in his locker room or affects him on the field, more importantly, he takes care of it. He addresses it. That team isn't going to let penalties beat them. So I, just, I felt for Freddie today. It seemed like a, a tough line to walk, and not only that, with the yardage, Jarvis is flirting with an ejection if he were penalized again for something similar. And to get it that early, it's it's concerning. But Mary Kay, as you said, they're going to need that fire, but they need to stay smart against Pittsburgh because this is a team that really doesn't make mistakes and instead capitalizes on yours as the Steelers, I think, have generated like 14 turnovers in their four straight wins um, and only turned the ball over once. So they've, they've got to be perfect.
1: Yeah, the other thing to think about in all of this is Remember when, at the beginning of the season, when Miles was starting to get some penalties for being a little overly aggressive and things like that, and then he vowed that he wasn't going to let that happen again? You don't want to take someone's passion or aggression away. You want them to be what they are and that the player that they can be, and you, know, you just don't want to back them off too much. So I do right. think it's very, very difficult, yep. and that's where coaching, like you said, that's where coaching is going to come in. I mean, Freddie has not ever been a head coach in a game of this magnitude before. That's a
0: great point. Mike
1: Tomlin, on the other hand, has been in many, <laughs> many, many football games like this
0: before, right? And yep. I mean
1: he knows what to expect. I mean I can just see that face on the sidelines, those <laughs> uh, you know eyes. He, uh he, you know, he's going to uh you know he's gonna be all over it and, and Freddie's gonna to have to be on point on Thursday night.
2: Yeah, Mike Tomlin in that primetime game, he knows what, how to get ready for a Thursday. I can see that face. He's trying to decide if he wants to challenge that two-yard yeah. spot or not, but yeah, he's he's a coach that knows how to get his team ready for uh, for big games like this.
0: Yeah, and it'll be a big game Thursday. Uh, expect a loud and large crowd at First Energy Stadium, which this had a similar feel on Sunday, but Baker Mayfield had some choice words for Browns fans, and just because the way Baker delivers things, I think this is getting spun a little bit in a different direction at times. But overall, what Baker had to say was, look, it was pretty loud at times when we had the ball on offense and needed it to be quiet, and it just wasn't. So Baker in the postgame said that it was odd that it was like that, and he later clarified simply that, you know, when they have the ball, things need to be quiet, and when the other team has the ball, then they can ramp things up. Um what have you guys made of this whole Baker Mayfield and the fans thing? And going forward, do you think Browns fans will understand, or was it really not really the Browns fans, and just the fact there were a lot of Bills fans in the stadium on
2: Sunday? There were a lot, a lot of Bills fans in that stadium. And to, you know, to Browns fans' credit, I've been to a lot of road games where it sounded like a home game for the Browns. So. Uh, you know until this team starts winning and selling out that stadium every single week full of browns fans and it looks more like it does in new england or wherever um it, you know this is this is going to be an issue I, I don't have a problem with what baker said i do think you know if you're going to go at fans a little bit you got to deliver there, there's a little less margin for error now it doesn't come yeah. off as well if you're not winning or if you're not playing well but i you know, i don't have a problem with him kind of saying to the fans hey this is how we're going to do it this is how it works at first energy stadium. When we have the football, you're quiet. And then when we don't have the football, it's going to sound like it sounded like back in college when Oklahoma was on defense. I don't kind of mind him trying to be a Pied Piper in all of this. But sure. it can backfire if he doesn't deliver and if the Browns don't deliver.
1: One of the things that came to my mind about this, too, was that, you know, we've heard Baker say before that, uh, you know, he likes to play angry and he likes to mix it up a little bit. But, hey, it's a short week. There's no time uh, to get mad at anybody. Uh, There's no time, you know, for for somebody to doubt him and tell him that he can't. But if he throws something like that out there uh, to the fans, you know, he might get a little heat back, and that might help him get his game face on. Baker Mayfield loves to get his game face on no matter how he can, and he knows that he needs to get up for this game in a huge way.
0: Yeah, that, that there's no other way to put it because, as we've been saying, the Browns lose this game. What happened on Sunday doesn't really matter. And it's kind of almost the, the irony of this win, this much-needed win, this this first win at home that not only is it a short week for the Browns, but fans don't have all that long to celebrate this victory because if they turn around and lose on Thursday, what happened on Sunday doesn't matter. And as Dan said to open the show, we're talking draft. So two wins here Sunday, Thursday will make this Buffalo Bills win feel much better for the fans. I'm confident of that. But in front of the, the Browns is the Steelers, who somehow are 5-4, and four, won four straight without Ben Roethlisberger, who went down with a season-ending elbow injury in Week 2. Many teams and ev- probably everyone in this room – wrote the Steelers off for the most part, thinking they'd, you know, need their draft pick, which they essentially traded away from Mika Fitzpatrick. But now here they are, four straight wins. Simply, you guys,
2: how are the Steelers doing this without their Hall of Fame quarterback? Defense. I mean that's really the offense has not been great. And they were about James Conner, who actually hasn't been that good this year to begin with. He's, he's had some kind of it's been a little slow going for him. Uh, this season, probably because he hasn't played the Browns yet, who he's had huge games against in in his short career. But it's the defense. They're shutting teams down. They're forcing turnovers. They're making life really difficult on quarterbacks. They've got a little bit of luck. You know, if Adam Vinatieri makes that kick a couple weeks ago or if Jacoby Percet doesn't get hurt in that game, I mean, we're not talking about the, the Steelers the way that we've been talking about them. They've had some things go their way. That's life in the NFL, But they've also played really good defense, and Michael Fitzpatrick has been unbelievable for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, their defense is doing some amazing, amazing things. They are third in the NFL with 33 sacks. Uh, I believe they're second in the NFL with 26 takeaways. Uh, Their turnover ratio is plus 13, and much of that comes from the defense. In each of the last five games, they have forced at least three turnovers. So they have been a turnover machine. Minka Fitzpatrick has been involved in eight of their 26 turnovers. Uh, They have just absolutely been on fire. And I think that this is the kind of aggressive, tenacious, opportunistic defense that the Browns have struggled against. They're so physical. They're so aggressive. They're going to come after that offensive line. They're going to beat up on the receivers as much as they possibly can, and they're taking that ball away. Last game, I mean, Baker should have had two interceptions. They were dropped. Mm -hmm. These guys aren't dropping their interceptions. You think Joe Hayden's going to get his hands on a ball and (laughs) drop it in Cleveland Browns Stadium? No. Do you think that Minka Fitzpatrick is going to do that? No. So Baker is going to have to be on point. The receivers are going to have to be where they need to be. They'll probably focus mostly on the running game with what these guys are doing in terms of the takeaways. Uh, But even that is not going to be easy because these guys are good against the run.
2: Doesn't it speak to like the cult? We've talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. It speaks so much to the culture of what the Steelers are Mm -hmm. that their 37 year old quarterback gets hurt in week two. And their response is we're going to trade our first round pick that maybe could be the replacement for that 37 year old quarterback to bring in Minka Fitzpatrick, because he fits what we want. He's a typical Pittsburgh Steeler. You know, unless you're drafting one of these top quarterbacks, you're probably not getting a player better than Minka Fitzpatrick with that draft pick. It just speaks so much to you know, when that happened, instead of just saying, okay, you know what? We're done for the year. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to mail it in. We're going to see if we can get Big Ben's replacement. They decided they were going to go and use that first-round pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick and win with defense. I think it just speaks to... How they do things in Pittsburgh and, and the culture that they have
1: there—it it really does. And you know what? When I see what these guys are doing on defense this season, it's the kind of stuff I expected the Browns' defense to be doing. Right. But the Browns are not creating turnovers this year, and that is so incredibly disappointing. I watched the Monday night game as much as I possibly could uh, this week, and um, was that just yesterday? Last night. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> Believe I'm it or not, I'm all confused. So I watched the Monday night game and just watching Jadavian and Clowney yeah. getting after it and watching how attack minded that defense was. When you think of these dominant defenses that are just, uh, you know, getting after the quarterback, taking the ball away, stripping it, that's what I thought the Browns were going to be this season. And quite frankly, I've been a little disappointed. Uh, and and I think that's going to they're going to have to stand up in this game and say, you know what, we are the better defense. In this football game, than the Steelers are.
2: Yeah, when well, I would look at Mason Rudolph and say, "We're going to make you look like Mason Rudolph tonight," right? Yeah, that that has to be the
0: difference because having Mason Rudolph beat the Browns is the only way that it makes sense for this team to go in, come here and beat Cleveland because he has pr- not proven that he's capable of doing such things, and the Browns have the pieces on defense to be disruptors and create opportunities for themselves. And look, a good offense is going to meet a good defense on Thursday. The difference does need to be the Browns' defense. But also, I think Freddie Kitchens needs to be really careful with his game plan here, and he he would never admit it, but he needs to protect Baker Mayfield in this one. Mary Kay, you've alluded to it a few times already. Baker had some picks that he got away with on Sunday, and they would have completely changed the outcome of that game. Throwing the ball 36 times when you have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the backfield probably wasn't warranted. And if Baker throws the ball that much against Pittsburgh's defense, you can almost guarantee at least one turnover, if not multiple.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, you just look at these guys and they're doing everything right on defense. And it seems like they're just getting hotter and hotter. I mean, they had four takeaways in their last game, in their last victory uh, against the Rams. So... Uh, they're they're going to want to come after Baker Mayfield because here's the thing this is their first game against the great Cleveland Browns offense this season yeah and there there's going to be a lot of pride no, you're right. you're at right. stake here right because once again they've been hearing all offseason and season about how great these Cleveland Browns are and the Pittsburgh Steelers I think probably have a chip on their shoulder that they have gotten no respect. It almost turned into like a two-team race between the Ravens and the Browns, and people forgot about the Pittsburgh Steelers when Ben Roethlisberger went down. I think these guys are going to be out of their minds to try to get after Baker, to try to shut down Odell Beckham Jr., and, and to try to keep themselves in the playoff hunt because, again, four straight, five out of six, they actually have a really good chance of not a great chance, but they've got a really good chance of the wild card spot.
2: And you could always just kind of tell, and obviously there's reasons for this, you could always tell that Ben Roethlisberger just relished this rivalry. He loved this rivalry and. I remember I did a story on it a few years ago, and when we do the conference calls, we used to do a conference call with a player as well as the head coach, and now it's just the coach. And I remember Mike Tomlin kind of downplayed it a little bit when I asked him about it, but when I asked Ben Roethlisberger about the rivalry, he was all about it. And he relished beating this team. Of course, you know, that goes back to when the Browns passed on him, but also, you know, he knows that he doesn't want right now the Browns are the little brother, and he doesn't want the little brother to, to come up and beat this team. Now, obviously, Ben's not there, but I'm sure Mike Tomlin is the same way. I'm sure Mike Tomlin is going to let these Steelers know, hey, you remember uh, all that hype the Browns had? Well, now they're in third place. Let's try and keep them there. Hey, Joe, Joe Hayden, you remember when the Browns didn't want you and then they went 0-16? Here's your chance to maybe go out and make some plays against that team. So he he's going to have this team ready. I think, you know, even whether he admits it or not, I'm sure he kind of relishes you know, the way the Steelers have dominated this rivalry.
1: Oh, Joe Hayden is going to really help them get their game faces <laughs> on. There is no question about that. And there is so much to be said for something like that. The revenge factor. These guys use whatever they can. Uh, Joe will come up with that. He'll dig down deep and, and try to uh, to help these guys out with that. Even Jordan Poyer, I thought, uh, had a really strong game. Yep. Uh, and he had, a, he had the revenge factor going in that game for, for letting go being let go by the, by the Cleveland Browns. And I think Joe will have that. He'll probably give the pregame speech. Uh, maybe Ben will even uh, give the you know win one for the Gipper speech as well. Uh, but if you look at even their last uh, four games, their last, actually three games, uh, they have registered at least four sacks in each of their last three games. And uh, that's pretty incredible, and they're going to be looking to extend that streak.
2: Here's a a little behind-the-scenes story. So, Joe, you remember Joe got cut, and the Browns opened with the Steelers that week, or that season, like literally, he signed with the Steelers maybe a week before that game. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in the locker room afterwards, of course, one of the stories was we had to go talk to Joe Hayden. So, a bunch of Cleveland reporters went and talked to Joe Hayden right after the game. He he was at his locker, just taking his uniform off, and uh, we were all kind of standing around him waiting, and one of the players said something to Joe about We're gonna have a victory Monday tomorrow and, and Joe kind of laughed and then another stealer from like across the locker room didn't have many of those did you do you even know what a victory Monday is it was wow. just sort of a, it was funny to kind of yep. be in, in that setting so you know Joe's probably coming off his best game he's not the shutdown corner he used to be but he's going to be fired up to go against Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see what he's got for the Browns.
0: Yeah, whether it's revenge or the history of this matchup, it's going to be a loaded game on Thursday. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break and come back with questions from Football Insider, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, listeners, welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Ellis Williams, here with Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Before we get into your Football Insider questions, here is Mary Kay to tell you more about how you can get signed up for Football Insider.
1: Well, fans, yes, for about $3.99 a month, which is, and that's only $3.99 a month, not $399, for about the the cost of a nice uh, caramel macchiato or something like that. Uh, You can get so much insider stuff from all of us. Every single day, we have a piece of exclusive content in there for you. We'll dive into a player or do some analysis or give you a video, something that you won't get anywhere else on the site and uh, some really good stuff that you're, you're going to love. Uh, the other thing that you get is um, texts from me every day. The, these texts are about, uh, you know, just thoughts on news of the day, uh, maybe something that happened out at practice, uh, an injury, whether a guy is going to play or not, um, but mostly just instant analysis on the big topics of the day something that you can take to the water cooler and uh, tell your co-workers about or your friends so please click on the blue banner right at the top of cleveland.com slash browns again uh, we'd love to have you and you can have a two-week free trial and we think you're going to love it
0: yep thank you mary-kay and she's right you know you get the insider you get texts from her and it is your way to get questions onto this podcast for us to answer. So let's dive right into those. Our first question from the area Code 330 asking, easy qu- schedule question mark? Other than the two games with the Bengals and one with the Dolphins, what's close to say it's easy? Steelers defense will be tough to score even 10 points against. Not, not much of a question there, more of a making a point, but the question being, Is this schedule, I guess, as easy as it was presumed to be, and that stats say with the 32nd-ranked schedule and the win-loss, what should Browns fans expect down the stretch of the schedule here?
2: Well, I think it's all relative, right? The schedule is easier because you're not playing the Patriots or the 49ers or you know some of these other teams. I mean, it was a really difficult first half of the schedule. And Mary Kay, you put up a post on this, I know, about kind of looking ahead to the second half. Um You know, it's it's all relative at the same time. I have been thinking a little bit about this I think sometimes we still talk about the Browns and part of it is the talent level We still talk about the Browns like they're 10 and 16 Right now they aren't a 10 and 16. They're Mm -hmm. 3 and 16 But just beat Buffalo by scoring 19 points in a really ugly game so I I think maybe When they lost to Denver that changed that expectation a little that you know what this team could probably lose any game Uh, And this even though the Dolphins have won two games in a row at this point. So who knows? I don't think they will lose that game, but who knows? I, I, the schedule is easier, kind of relative to the first half. But with all of these games, minus those three that the, the texter mentioned, there, there really are no gimmies.
1: Well, the schedule got a lot harder when all of a sudden the Steelers got a lot better. Great when point. the Steelers all of a sudden won five out of their six football games and four straight. And these are, are victories not all over just... The Dolphins and the Bengals I mean they have beaten some significant football teams and they've come close to beating other really good football teams they lost in overtime to the Ravens uh, they they lost to the 49ers 24 to 20. okay so they lost 28 to 26 to the Seahawks so it's not like they got blown out by the elite teams I mean the Browns had worse losses to those really good teams than the Steelers have. So the Steelers coming on strong, especially because of their really good defense, uh, has made this last part of the schedule way, way tougher than it was supposed to be. I originally circled these two games as victories way back when. Now, I had a hard time picking this game this week. And with them going into Pittsburgh, even if they win this one, 17 days later, yeah. they have to go into Hinesfield and do it all over again against this vaunted defense. So, I think 3 uh, 3 is exactly right. Even though, on paper, according to uh, the ESPN Power Football Index, it is the easiest schedule in the NFL the rest of the way. It is not as easy as it looks.
0: Yeah, Mary Kay, you nailed that. These teams are simply have just gotten better. Uh, the Dolphins all of a sudden have two wins. You know, we turn around and now the Dolphins have two wins and we were laughing about uh, 0-16 and and Tank for two and all these things. Uh, You know, luckily for the Browns, they'll be able to play a team that likely is going to get that 1st overall pick in the Bengals. But still, this Dolphins team is not an easy out now. And the Arizona Cardinals are winning games. And each week, that relationship between Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, quarterback and coach, grows. That game's in Arizona, traveling west. Playing where the Cardinals are comfortable, that by no means is a gimme anymore. So, again, I agree with the insider here, subscriber. There really are no gimmies left. If if Denver isn't a gimme, then there really isn't one at this
1: (laughs) point.
2: Yeah, that Arizona game is suddenly a little a little bit tougher. It's a game you should win, but Arizona's playing better. They gave San Francisco a good game. They they gave Tampa a really good game. Uh, You know that. Kyler Murray looks like the real deal, and anytime time you have a guy at quarterback that can play a little bit, that, that game gets a whole lot tougher. Yeah,
1: and of course the schedule includes another game against the Baltimore Ravens. And depending on what happens here over the next couple of weeks, that game could be very pivotal, very crucial. Now, it could be over by then if they don't get past the Steelers in these two games. Uh, but that game, if the Browns can, can get on a little bit of a roll here, could loom very very large and, and you know how tough the Ravens are going
0: to be. Yeah, maybe a little positive thinking here for the Browns, but if anything falling to 2 and 6 when they did now 3 and 6 um, that may have allowed them an opportunity or not may have it did to not overlook any of these games now. Right. You know, they they had they had a little bit better record, maybe they slip against Miami or drop one in Arizona. Now they know. Now now the The terms have been dictated. These games are all must-win, and there's no other way around it. So, if anything, maybe they've survived a a trap game, if you will, uh, in between these two Steelers games, knowing that they just have to knock out all three of these games, that being Pittsburgh Thursday, Miami, and then two Pittsburgh, like you said, Mary Kay, 17 days. It's a a daunting task, it sounds like. It it.
1: really is, with the the Dolphins uh, wedged in between there. And again, like you guys mentioned, uh, all of a sudden they started winning a few games.
2: Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the ultimate wild card. Yeah, Who knows? He <laughs> can, never can know. come in and throw four touchdowns or come in and throw four interceptions. Right. Or
1: both. Exactly.
2: Yep, yep. All
0: right, moving on to the next text from area code 412 asking or saying, how the Browns struggled on Sunday leaves a lot of concern. It's most apparent how much we need a fullback or some other stalwart to play the position. Great word there. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that one since probably high school English class. Um, yeah, Mary Kay, you touched on it a little bit earlier with Sheldon Richardson and whatnot. Uh, first, how important is it for this team to find a, a fullback or is really let's take the position tag off it, just a player outside of Kareem Hunt who can be a big body down there and clear a pathway uh, for Nick Chubb? And do you think even though it sounds like these players are on the roster, do you think that's anything that the team will even consider offensively?
1: Well, I, I would add Kareem Hunt to that mix. Yeah. So I would use him in that role, or vice versa. I mean, just if you have those two guys down there, you have a lot of options with them. Uh, or, again, use a Sheldon Richardson or a Justin McRae or whatever else you can come up with that you think might work and it doesn't have to be, you know, some teams don't have the luxury of keeping a fullback on the roster anymore unless you're really going to use him a lot in regular offense. If you're not going to do that, you can find a guy. You can find a guy that can be that lead blocker. So that that's definitely something that they've got to get going on the goal.
2: Yeah, I don't think a, a true fullback is really a priority in this offense, but they, as we talked about, they can, they can find somebody to do it. I think they were sort of hoping in the preseason and, and training camp that one of these tight ends would step up and, and maybe be sort of an H-back for them. Uh, sort of your 53-man roster construction was getting mapped out, but it just didn't happen. And, you know, they tried it a little bit on Sunday with uh, with Carlson. It didn't work out. So, you know, they'll, they'll have to come up with something, but Kareem Hunt maybe could could fill that void. There, there's somebody on this roster that for a player too two you could toss out there and, and use a little trickery with.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the, the obvious answer is Kareem Hunt, and he's it's obvious because it's the right answer. Dan, you mentioned it earlier. He may possibly be possibly the most talented, versatile player on this football team, however, you want to shake it. And if you turn on, as Mary Kay said, any old Kansas City Chief highlights, Kareem Hunt lived in the end zone and got in the end zone relatively easily with Andy recalling plays. Uh, you know, football isn't. This easy, but in times it probably should be. All Freddie Kitchens needs to do is turn on some of those Andy Reid plays and maybe just hit copy paste and plug them in Thursday, and, and this fullback thing would be solved. You know who
2: we haven't talked about at fullback, Nick Chubb.
0: Right. Yep.
2: yep. You know, yep. I you don't want to take carries away from Nick Chubb. Right. But if you put him at fullback for a player or two and let him lead the way or give him you know a short handoff right. something like that. So I I think that's probably something that as we go along and they work Kareem Hunt in a little more Mm -hmm. and get more comfortable with him in the run game, maybe maybe that's something we
1: see a little bit. Put those two guys on the field in goal line and you might not know which one's going to get the ball and the other one can block.
0: Yeah, quickly I want to touch on how interesting that concept is. You know, if it's Madden, sure, yeah, let's just plug in Nick Chubb at fullback and Kareem Hunt at running back and have them run a play. But these are real humans with real emotions. I want to ask both of you you know, who have been around the team much longer than I and just in NFL locker rooms in general, how unique, how special is the situation where you have the unselfishness of both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb willing to block for each other? Because you know, for the, the football teams I've played on, it's not always the easiest thing volunteering your body for someone else to score. What have you two noticed about their
2: relationship and how unselfish they are and what stands out? I think with Hunt, it's just sort of... He's got his football life back, yeah. so he's he's going to come in and be happy to do whatever he wants to do. And with Chubb, so far we haven't seen him really need to sacrifice a whole lot. Uh, he's he's just carried the football. And Chubb, you know, Chubb has shared carries before. He he was with Sony Michelle in Georgia, so he's been in a situation like this before. I, I think probably deep down he wants to be the featured back and, and wants to be the guy carrying the football, which is fine. That's what everybody wants. I think eventually Kareem Hunt will want to be that guy too. But right now the Browns can certainly get by with this because Kareem Hunt is just happy to be out there. I mean, he told me today that, you know, I I asked a question and I phrased it in a way like, you know, I'm sure you don't miss being sore on Mondays after the game. He said, no, I absolutely missed that. It it felt good to be sore again on Monday and and be dinged up a little bit. So for right now he's just happy to be back on the football field and do whatever he needs to do.
1: Yeah, they're they're two really uh, interesting guys now. Kareem Hunt, I know that uh, he's working to rehabilitate his image again from what happened. But in terms of being a teammate and a friend, I I watched those two guys start to get really close starting way back in OTAs. You could just tell uh, that they were becoming good friends and they were just always together, Uh, you know, in between drills. They were on the sidelines talking. These are kinds of things that you observe when you are... Out at practice, You kind of see who's with who and, and those sorts of things. And it was very evident early on that they were going to be something pretty special together. And Nick Chubb is about the nicest guy you could ever <laughs> want to meet. And uh, I was actually talking to him today a little bit. And I said, you know, a guy like you is so quiet that you don't get the recognition that you're going to deserve for, for Pro Bowl status this year. And I said, you know, I, I really hope that you get, you know, what you deserve in that regard. Because, I mean, who amongst us have, has seen a running back run like yeah. this, with yeah. this with this much tenacity? Obviously, the Cleveland Browns have a wonderful tradition and history of great running backs. And you can put Nick Chubb right up there with the best. He's one of the best I have ever seen.
0: Yeah, and that's saying a lot coming from you, of course, with your resume. And just as a lifelong fan of the game, he lo- he's a vintage running back.
2: Mm-hmm. He's your
0: vintage 25 carry, can get it done any which way. Uh, he's out there not wearing gloves sometimes. He's just a, a beast with the rock. And uh, being from Minnesota, you, you think of a guy like Adrian Peterson, the last guy mm-hmm. to really carry carry an offense. You know, this, this offense is much more loaded with Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry. But you get that throwback feel with Nick Chubb. I'm just curious, how does a guy like him who's quiet like that respond to the Pro Bowl talk? And, you know, he was kind of probed a little bit about the celebrations today. Uh, What's it like trying to get stuff out of Nick Chubb there?
1: You know, again, Nick is so quiet that he barely says anything about that. But I know it meant something to him for, I was trying to say, you know, I really think you need to be in the Pro Bowl this year. I think you need to be voted in. Uh, as as you know, a starter, not an alternate, and uh, and you know he kind of this is this is Nick's way. He'll listen, and then you might catch a little smirk. <laughs> you might catch a little tiny smirk, and that's about all you're going to get. He's humble. Uh, he's and I. The other thing I told him is that you know, like he is the perfect Cleveland Browns oh running back. Yeah, he's just the lunch pail guy. Comes to work, does his job and just runs through people and over people. And if Cleveland Browns fans haven't fallen completely in love with Nick Chubb yet, they really should.
2: The Browns sent out post-game notes after every game, and this this one stood out to me. The Browns' most rushing yards in the first nine games of a season, so individual seasons. This is the top seven. Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Nick Chubb,
1: Jim Brown. Yeah. Those are
2: the top seven performances in a season in the first nine games. That's pretty good company to find yourself in.
1: Yeah, that's, Especially in
2: this era of football that Nick Chubb is playing
1: in. Yeah, and think about this. This wasn't just any old nine football teams he was playing against in this first half of the season. He did this against the best football teams in the NFL. They were ran the gauntlet in the first half of their season and he ran through and over people, and I just think he's amazing.
0: Yeah, he gashed the Patriots, and if anyone's going to take something like that personally, it's Bill Belichick, and that's the type of stuff that Bill probably got off the plane and was just hell-bent on thinking, like, how did this happen? How do we stop it next time? Right.
2: Um, And he's really been the MVP of this offensive oh, the yeah. whole team, right? The
1: team. Absolutely. I,
2: I guarantee you if we if we got Bill Belichick in an honest moment, yeah. someone gave him truth serum or whatever <laughs> and asked him who his favorite Cleveland Browns player was.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Nick Chubb. Great point. He is a perfect not just a perfect Cleveland Brown, but you put him in New England. I know they've never really done the whole featured back thing, right. but he is the perfect I mean, Bill Belichick, would. I'm sure he does love that guy. and just would absolutely love having him on his team, I'm sure.
1: I cannot imagine anyone else on this football team uh, being voted uh, MVP of this team this season. He, he's got my vote already. Oh, yeah, we,
2: we can do the media, the <laughs> PFWA player of the year vote yeah. now. It's, it's done. No question.
0: Yeah, transitioning a little bit into life on the beat here, but I had a uh, fan email me, a reader, whatever, uh, saying, how they hadn't bought a Browns jersey in 20-plus years, but Nick Chubb might be the player that gets them back and buys a new Cleveland Browns uniform. So whatever that says about the Browns fans, uh, the long history, uh, clearly Nick Chubb is rewriting and making his own history here. Um, All right, subscribers, listen. We ran long in the first half of our segment here, so we'll have more of your questions next time we record, but we're going to have to – Cut it there, um, transitioning real quickly into life on the beat. Uh, playing the Buffalo Bills last week got some of us thinking about some some older stories and whatnot and just what's it like be, being home now that, as we talked about earlier, that the Browns were on the road for so long and, and now – B-rider Dan Lobby, an entire American, <laughs> cake, aren't traveling as much, so so Dan, w- what do those memories bring back to you uh, when you think of the Bills and just how nice it is to be home?
2: So I, I do have a Buffalo story. I do want to, because of this life on the beat thing, I want to give a shout out to somebody from Denver uh, who sent me a direct message when I was looking for a hipster coffee shop. He sent me some recommendations. That's uh, Jay, he doesn't have his real name in his bio, it's Jay Danable I think. Uh, so shout out to him for uh, for reaching out to me. We're always open to travel suggestions here. There we go. Uh, and the uh, DMs are in the, uh, the five-star <laughs> reviews as well. If I love it. Leave some in there. Okay, but a Buffalo story. Whenever the Browns go to Buffalo, Mary Kay, at least in my experience, it's always been late in the season. Mm-hmm. They yep. never send us there in September. Right. They always send us there in December. I'm sure if we end up going there next year, it's going to be like December 14th or something. Yep. So we went there. I think it was right after that huge snowstorm they had a few years ago that was just snow everywhere. We missed the snowstorm, yep. but there were still just snow banks piled up. And we went out there with uh, Nate Alrick, who we always mention on this <laughs> podcast. We, he rented a car and we all drove out together on Saturday night. And then because it was, it's a three hour drive, we drove home on Sunday night, mm-hmm. and that, you know, late at night. It was like probably 10, 11 o'clock, maybe later than that. Mm-hmm. And the mistake we made is we didn't put gas in the car <laughs> oh. in Buffalo. Yeah. So we're driving down 90 through New York on the thruway. It's mm-hmm. getting lower and lower. And then we're in the middle of Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's getting lower and lower. And, there were, you know, we're Google mapping gas stations. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, okay, we're going to get stranded on the side of the road. It's freezing cold outside. We're all trying, you know, we're, we're trying to get work done, those of us that weren't driving. And I promise Nate was not sitting there driving and working <laughs> um, and, and just out of the corner of my eye mm-hmm. right as we were getting real desperate I saw these lights just off the highway because every other gas station was in some small town like miles off the highway wow. and who knew what we would have been getting into there yeah and we just made it to this gas station that was closed but the pumps were open we filled up the car and somehow made it home but it got a little dicey with the weather with the gas situation Yes. I, it was close to us not making it home from that trip.
1: Yeah, I actually, if I combed my memory, have a lot of uh, Buffalo winter freezing <laughs> stories uh, that I that I could tell like that. But, yeah, it always seems like there's some kind of blizzard going on, and you're just trying to white-knuckle it and get home.
0: And, jeez, that is, that is life on the beat, traveling to places like Buffalo. I'm, I'm glad you guys have been safe. That, no, you're here
2: with me now. The driving trips are almost harder than the, the flying <laughs> yeah. trips, which is weird, but it's just that, that added element of someone has to like drive home, and you never know what conditions you're going to be dealing with. We've got a Cincinnati trip at the end of December this year, so who knows? I Buckle will, up. Alice, I think you're going to yeah. to experience that one. Buckle up. <laughs>
1: I will say, though, uh, and then and you can ask other beat writers about this, that I could be a professional talker. Like if you need to stay (laughs) awake on the way home from Cincinnati or anywhere else, uh, you know, I can talk you home. So, you know, you can ask some of the guys on the, on the beat about that. Um, so yeah, we've had a lot of fun trips driving late at night.
0: I'm looking forward to that. sounds like I'll find out in a few weeks when, uh, at the end of the year, really when Brown's head to Cincinnati. Um, and I love stories like that, and it, it shows your guys' the history on this beat and whatnot. Um, one thing I want to share quickly with this being really entering my second month on this beat compared to the <laughs> the years that you guys have. Um, you know, being a fan of this league, um, it was exciting when Thursday night football became a thing. Like, oh, hey, more primetime football for the fans to consume. Uh, very quickly on coming onto this beat and this week now, I realize that. Thursday night football is just a mistake. It's, <laughs> it's just not fair to these players. Right. Um, when the Browns released their media schedule, I, I saw it, and essentially they release a, a Monday injury report for practice, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't, they don't practice. So it's just a, a, a guess as if, okay, hey, if we practice, this is who would have practiced and who didn't. Where I'm going with this is these players don't have the turnaround time possible to be healthy to be entirely safe, uh, both mentally and physically, to Mm -hmm. perform at the level they're demanded to perform on Thursday nights. If we really think about this, um, the Browns played the early game Sunday. Pittsburgh actually played one of the later Mm -hmm. games. And then they're asked to turn around um, Monday traveling or, you know, wherever the teams are. I think both were at home, so they're fine there. But then, you know, then you got Tuesday and Wednesday before teams arrived at game day. What I'm saying is, as a fan, unless you see what this day-to-day schedule is like for these players, it's hard to understand how unfair these Thursday night games are. But look, this has been going on for nearly a decade now. I feel like this game isn't going anywhere. One thing I do want to ask quickly, Mary Kay, is when this Thursday night football thing all came to be, did you feel right away that it was going to be a mistake, or were the players? What do you remember about that time um, when Thursday football was announced and really kind of put a change in the NFL schedule for all you longtime beat writers?
1: You know, I don't think any players ever liked it right from the start. There is no NFL football player uh, that is going to want. To put their body through that again yeah. four days later, and it's so hard for us to even believe that. Like we're ready to head back down to the stadium. Yeah, and just to ex- cover yeah. a game. Exactly. Like I haven't even <laughs> recovered from writing, let alone having to play. I, I was talking to a player today, and he was uh, rubbing a bruise on on his side. It was a really significant bruise, and he was in a lot of pain. And I was thinking, oh boy, you know, if you you know if you had a few more days right. to recover from that. You know that would probably be very, very helpful, and I think a lot of them feel that way.
2: Yeah, and these games are so we see such sloppy performances all the time, especially early in the year. But now we're at a point in the year where it's so late. Guys are everybody in that locker room is banged up or or hurt or something like that, and it is a tough, tough turnaround. The only saving grace is they're going to have the weekend. They get ten days now between games, so at least they have that. They get another little mini buy. Uh, which is good, but this is certainly not a, a move by the NFL with player safety in mind. I think I think players fully understand that. Uh, it's, it's a really fast turnaround. The good news is at least this is uh, a short trip for Pittsburgh. They get on the bus yeah. tomorrow. They're going to drive here. Uh, I'm assuming they bus here like the Browns bus out there. So at least they have that going for them. It's not a hard travel week for them but it's, it's, it is a little bit unfair to the players to, to do this, but it's the almighty dollar in the NFL. That's
0: Simple. How it works. Yep. Simple as that. Thursday nights are profitable. And if anything, uh, life on the beat has taught me that Thursday night football isn't a good idea. Shocker. <laughs> 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 so we all already knew, uh, very quickly. I want to share with listeners what's cooking on football insider. Uh, this morning I had a piece on James Conner, and really the, Pittsburgh backfield as a whole, what that may look like for the Browns and what to prepare for. Later, I'll take a look at Mason Rudolph and what he's been able to do for the Steelers offense and how he's keeping them afloat. You know, he's not necessarily winning them games, but he isn't losing them either. And that's the quarterback shop win game. So from what I got and our other writers, there's a lot cooking on Insider. So as always, sign up. Those are Easter eggs that that we work on for you guys. Uh, Before we get out of here, I want to predict this game and You know, we usually have the luxury of having a three, four days in between when we record the podcast and game day so we can kind of float and flirt with different possibilities of this game and more just give our feel. But, man, it's almost Thursday. So we may have some scores ready for you guys. I'll start us off with predicting this one. I think it's going to be a a tough game, a gritty game. But Cleveland comes out on top 17-16. Simply, I don't think Mason Rudolph is going to be able to make the plays down the stretch necessary to beat Cleveland at First Energy Stadium. It's just he hasn't been asked to do it, and I expect this defense to step up and play like the unit. They showed signs of earlier in the year and make enough plays to hold on and win this one for the Browns. Dan, Mary Kay, what do you two have?
2: I'm going to go the opposite way. I think it's going to be kind of an ugly game like we saw on Sunday, and I think this one is going to go against the Browns. I think the Steelers are uh, going to come to Cleveland. I think that defense is going to be good enough to to hold the Browns offense down. Just enough 20-17, uh, to 17. I think, the Steelers win. But it's going to be close. It's going to be ugly. And it's going to be one of those NFL games that, at the end, we're going to say that really could have gone either way. But I'm um, going with the Steelers.
1: I had a very hard time picking this game. Some games I don't have a hard time. I get a strong feeling about it early on in the week, and I kind of stick with it. This one, I went back and forth, didn't have too much time to really think about it too much, but the more I looked at those Steelers, defensive numbers, the sacks, those 33 sacks, those 26 takeaways, it just seems like this is the kind of defense that the Browns offense has not matched up well against. Now, they've gone turnover-free for the last two games, and they've kept those penalties down to 5-4, and respectively. If they can play a clean game like that, I think the Browns can win. But the Steelers will be out to make sure they don't. And therefore, I think it's going to be really tough. I went with the Browns for two reasons. Uh, My reasons are, this is such a must-win. Well, I don't like to use that until you're eliminated from part contention. But it's almost a must-win game for them. And I think the atmosphere is going to be so electric and so intense at that stadium. Like a playoff atmosphere. And then the other thing is, I think... Kareem Hunt is a game changer. He yeah. is a game changer. In my mind, it's like adding a Saquon Barkley, a Zeke Elliott uh, to your roster, yep. to your lineup. And I think he can help push them over the top. So I'm going Browns 24, Steelers 23.
0: Well, either way, we shake this. We're expecting a close game on Thursday night. And it should be a good one, as it always is, between these two teams. All right, listeners, that's all we have for you guys. Um, as always, Subscribe to Football Insider. Simply click the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns. That's how you get exclusive texts from Mary Kay Cabot to getting your questions on this podcast and our exclusive Football Insider newsletter. For myself, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay, we are signing off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.